Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and thank you kindly for joining us on the I Love Seville show. I've been looking forward to today's program for, I don't know, four or five days now since we lined this up late last week on the program. Peter Krebs is in the house. He's in the studio. He's behind the mic. He's on set. This guy knows the community inside and out. Piedmont Environmental Council, lucky to have him. Charlottesville-Albemarle County in Central Virginia, lucky to have him. Take a look at the screen for some of the topics we'll cover when Peter Krebs is in the house. You, the viewer and listener, often provide topics that really get the conversation going and flowing in the right direction. We'll spend the next 45 minutes with a man who needs very little introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. Judah, if you can go to the studio camera and welcome the, the dapper, the distinguished, the well-read, the well-spoken community watchdog, community leader, um, a champion of the outdoors, of biking, of walking, of the Rivanna River, the Rivanna Trail, of live music, of local mm -hmm. business. I can continue. My friend, good Tuesday afternoon to you. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. We connected last week on social, and we get to my favorite aspect of social media, turning digital into real-life conversation. And we'll get straight into the nitty-gritty. We got Biscuit Run and the Greenway that a lot of folks are talking about. We have Natalie Osheran, the newly minted city councilor, utilizing terminology like road diet and improved sidewalks and bike lanes, which we love. We got a parking, um, uh, a parking solar bill in front of the General Assembly. Uh, the Virginia Great Outdoors Act in front of the General Assembly. PEC's got a, 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 learning, a learning opportunity tonight about data centers, which we'll cover on the program. A lot we want to get to, but first I'll get out of your way. What is your state of the union when it comes to Charlottesville, Virginia right now? Um, well, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I, I think the state of Charlottesville is actually positive. And it's not only because we have legitimate winter weather, which I was a little bit afraid in December. It was awfully warm, but January we had some like decent weather. Sorry, my dad's a meteorologist, so I'm very comfortable being on camera talking about the weather. Um, and just how can you not be cheerful when, when it's bright and um, sunny outside? Um, but also, uh, both Charlottesville and Albemarle are on pretty good trajectories. There's some cool stuff happening. Um, for Charlottesville, the challenge, I think, is there have been a couple of challenges. Uh, got the comp plan, got the rezoning like under our belt, uh, able to get going with the implementation. And I think everybody agrees that um, there's a lot of implementing that needs to happen before the whole thing will work. But um, uh, at the city government, we talked a little bit uh, about Sam was new, I think, last time when I was here. Sam Sanders, city manager. Correct. Yeah. And um, the uh, staff of the city has been kitted out a little bit uh, since then. That's been a, um, a work in progress. And there are uh, a couple of key people who are now sort of getting going and starting to kick butt. I'm happy with uh, what's happening uh, in terms of the transportation group with, with Ben Chambers, Tommy Safranic being added as a bike peg coordinator, and we still are, are fortunate to have Kyle Rodlin on board having a bike peg coordinator. So thinking about ways that the city punches above its weight class, I, I think that's uh, a phrase we hear a lot. 
within the transportation team, I think they're um, I think they're well set up, and everybody would agree now it's time to get to work. How so. would you, John Blair, watching the program in Stanton? We love you, John Blair. Ginny Hu, thank you for the retweet. Logan Wells Kalela, welcome to the program. TV station down the road watching us right here on the I Love Seville network. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you characterize or grade right now at this moment the bicycle and pedestrian um, opportunities, safety, bike lanes and sidewalks in totality, where would you put us on a grading scale? Um, I, I, I think where we are as far as um, having a safe, connected network, I think we're like a, a D. Um, not, not where we want to be um, in terms of... Uh, Feeling like there's a bunch of good seeds planted, good soil conditions. You know, as an environmentalist, I guess I, I look at what's going on under the ground as well. I see some good things um, going on, some good prospects. I think there are some exciting um, new postures that the city is taking, like... Um, uh, for the last more than a year, the city has not been letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, and they're getting some uh, key things uh, locked in without having to wait for the decade it takes to get like for example. Uh, well, I'm thinking about some of the safe routes to school uh, interventions that uh, that are taking place, and some of those are actually people interventions. So, for example, um, I was dr- driving down Fifth Street or uh, down Ridge toward Fifth Street, and I was able to wave at the crossing guard that was uh, there on Ridge Street and. Um, uh, Ridge Street is scheduled for some major upgrades through a, a VDOT smart scale grant, which it, it's going to be many years before those upgrades are in place. But we got a crossing guard there to, to help in the meantime. Or um, then there's also sort of the small but annoying uh, things that make the whole thing fail that are being addressed. So there's a little sidewalk on High Street in front of, I believe it's an AT&T facility. Yep. Uh, That entire corridor, (laughs) because of that 100 yards or so of missing sidewalk, was a a total nightmare for someone in a wheelchair. we got to give some props to Kevin Cox. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. This gentleman has been going to bat big time for sidewalks, for transportation, High Street in particular, I think Kevin Cox is watching the program right now. He deserves some credit. Big time. And he's been at it for a long time. Yes, he has. It, it would not be accurate to say Kevin picked up the phone and got a result. He has been working on that problem for like a decade. Right. And it's bearing fruit. And thank goodness that he stuck with it. I've called High Street the most underappreciated, underdeveloped, disrespected quarter in the city um, number of times on this program. Agree or disagree with that, and it's a perfect segue into the city buying Zero East High Street from Wendell Wood, taking mm-hmm. housing out of the ecosystem at a time of upzoning, mm-hmm. but preserving 
the Rivanna River and all its fruits and glory. Anywhere you want to go on those two topics. Oh, man, there's, there's a whole bunch there. And um, I think there are other corridors that would like a word with you okay. about being the worst corridors in the region. But we'll, maybe we'll leave that for another I would love time. to know. I would love to know your corridors. Well, I think 29 would like a word with you. Okay, I give you that. I give you that. 29 is a cluster. You know, Fifth yeah. Street Extended at 64 would like a word. Extremely dangerous quarter, that one right there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I mentioned very quickly the, the county. That's an area that the county's going to be focusing on uh, with extreme focus for the next couple of years. So put a pin on that for later. But um, back to Zero East High Street. First of all, I believe I was one of the few advocates who was very much on record with Zero High Street apart from the site conditions, being a great place to have housing like that. Part of town is where we absolutely should have housing. I think you were the first to speak on record about it. You spoke, I believe, in front of city council as well. And interestingly, many of your takes were soon embraced or echoed by the urbanist group Livable Charlottesville. Well, and, and I can't say that, that I was ahead of them with it. It just happened I got quoted before they did. So they've been doing their, um, their work for a long time and doing it well. I don't think the ship has sailed on having any housing there. Really? But the ship has sailed on Windows Project, thank God. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's a foregone conclusion that, um, there could be some housing. After all, there are existing houses on some part, some adjoining parcels. So um, I don't think it's impossible to have housing, but that project uh, was absolutely incompatible with the city's goals in many different ways. Do you think um, it was a genuine play by the developer, Wendell Wood? Um, I, I don't think it was a... Uh, a serious proposal. Um, I, I think he, he was serious in trying to accomplish certain goals, but not necessarily that one. Well, you, you have to let me unpack that. Was yeah. that does that mean the, the financial exit he received was his primary goal, uh, in your opinion? I, I think um, deaccessioning the property in some kind of way from his inventory was probably some kind of important goal for him. I, I can't speak to what's in another human's head. Fair. And it's likely that, like all of us, he had multiple competing you know, priorities. But I think unloading that property from the inventory was a significant motivator. Uh, Peter Krebs dropping dimes here on the program. He's fantastic mm -hmm. at what he does. I'll throw this to you here. Um, the Rivanna Trail, the Rivanna River, hand in hand, we have a potential connector on the south side of Charlottesville and southern Almoro County with the Biscuit Run Greenway. I'm on record on this talk show loving this. Mm -hmm. Late last week, you put together a top 12 list on the fly during the program, <laughs> made the show better last week. I think he's got his top 12 list. Judah's even getting a chuckle over there, and getting a chuckle out of Judah's difficult. 12 reasons why you think Biscuit Run Greenway is a good thing for the neighborhoods around it and also for the city of Charlottesville. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was driving, and I, I had, was listening to the show while I was driving. I pulled over into the Mickey Tavern parking lot, 
and banged out that top that was impressive list. yeah so so definitely um first i i need to um take my hat off to the county. I'm not going to do it because my hair is terrible underneath, but figuratively speaking, um, hats off to uh, the county and to the Foxcroft and Mill Creek residents for showing up, all of them in, in good numbers. At last, Monticello High School last Thursday. Correct. Last Wednesday. Uh, sorry, last Thursday, okay. Monticello High School. A lot of people there and a significant proportion of residents were there. Uh, great discussion, a very honest discussion, a lot of uh, questions that were asked. Um, uh, some opinions were shared. Um, and uh, that process had sort of been a little bit on ice uh, since the pandemic. And I believe the purpose of uh, that uh, gathering was to bring the project back into the public eye a little bit to reinvigorate discussions. Um, as I said, good exchange of ideas, and now it's important for the city, uh, for the county to sit down with their yellow legal pad and ha have a serious-minded negotiation with both of the two HOAs and I hope which is what Mill Creek and Foxcroft Foxcroft okay. and Mill Creek that's okay. correct and hopefully um, come to very similar agreements with both HOAs now both HOAs don't have exactly the same questions concerns so for example um, Foxcroft has a community center right next to the trailhead and they don't want people filling up their community center's parking lot trying to get to the park. Totally reasonable. Um, Mill Creek, um, on the other hand, they might be more interested in uh, land use that's happening uh, on and around the park. After all, they border uh, Biscuit Run Park, whereas Foxcroft doesn't border the actual Biscuit Run Park. So not exactly the same negotiation, but you know, the, it should be the same type of trail with the same rules and understandings in both sectors. We so. have a Mill Creek, and I won't utilize her name. She's a key member of the family, a Mill Creek resident, uh, Mill Creek South specifically watching the program. I won't utilize her name. Uh, she said, most of us want Biscuit Run because we are tired of people parking illegally in our neighborhood to access the trails. However, our biggest concern is will this bring in more people who, let's just say, are using the trails to make some bad decisions. Those folks sometimes wander into the neighborhood and that can make families with small children uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Just for the record, she is in favor of the Biscuit Run Greenway, but she is highlighting that point. We'll go to Neil Williamson next. Your thoughts on that comment? Yeah, so uh, our approach for at least the entire uh, time that I've been working on this project, is that the goal is to have an outcome that really benefits the residents of Foxcroft and Mill Creek, first and foremost. After all, it is on their land. So um, absolutely, uh, we, we have sort of... Here's a reason, one of the reasons why I give Charlottesville a D for its connectivity is, is we depend a lot on these informal arrangements where 
Uh, it's not really clear whether where a trail leads or how you get from A to B or how you're supposed to behave in a given situation and uh, what's okay. And when it's not clear what's okay, then sometimes things that are not okay become a little bit more likely to happen. And by having that space be managed with... Um, intentionality and so for example to the question of people wandering around we can have a comprehensive uh, system of signage to keep people from getting lost and to make clear this area is for you this area is for the residents and um, uh, similarly having uh, really uh, a level of investment that only the county can make. I don't think it's it's really fair to expect the residents through their homeowners dues to pay for the maintenance and upkeep of a trail that the entire community is using. That just isn't fair to them. Having the county do the maintenance, have the county handle security through the ACPD, um, that's huge. Like, they can't go back there because the PD would be trespassing right now. By having it be part of a trail, it becomes part of um, the regular patrol. And so, again, like, uh, getting out of this sort of gray area of connectivity into a more, like, cut and dry about what's okay and what's expected and, um, you know, what's for you. I think, and, in, in, you know, if... If I was trying to manage the perception of this challenge and the business primary business we're in is perception management or brand management, I would position it in a way when if when when this trail is executed and done the right way, it's going to drive I think significant value for the homes in those neighborhoods. Yeah. So um, there actually is pretty solid research. Very but, solid research. Yeah. And um, interestingly, uh, the boost in property values is uh, decreases as you move away from the trailhead. So uh, not surprisingly, a lot of the questions, concerns from attendees last Thursday were about people who live right there, right? It seems like they ought to be the most um, impacted. But it turns out that the impact is... Um, strongly positive and correlates to proximity. And I think that... In financial gain of property. In financial gain, but I think also thinking about it uh, from a little bit broader idea of what economics is. Uh -huh. So the the money thing, it's nice. I'm sure, it, it, you know, it, it's good to have a little bit, um, uh, bit of economic booth boost the reason behind that uh, that increase is what's interesting to me it it speaks pretty directly to a quality of life it's a more desirable place for the reasons you know you went into last week you know it's great place to walk it's uh, you know you could let your kids run out the door and into a park um, Get some off screens, exercise. Off screen, yeah. exercise. And it's a better place to live when you're next to a trail. And that's why the property value is, is boosted a little bit. It, it's like in the 
10 to 15% range. It's, it's not going to transform somebody's property, but it is going to have a measurable impact. I think that's pretty significant. Neil Williamson, president of the Free Enterprise Forum, watching the program. Question specifically for Peter. Neil says, I'm curious what Peter thinks about allowing nonprofits to build affordable housing around state-owned Biscuit Run Park. Well, I, I think we have a extraordinarily... Um, national level effort to that kind happening in Southwood, right? I mean, uh, hopefully you have folks from Habitat on here occasionally, but what's happening at at Habitat uh, or what's happening at Southwood via Habitat and via the leadership of Habitat residents is phenomenal. And... um, uh, This is also an area where I've been actually pretty uh, vocal and pretty out front about the importance of connecting Southwood to Biscuit Run. And um, uh, I was just asking a a friend of mine about the county's uh, CIP, proposed CIP. We're hoping this next round of county CIP is going to include monies for this bridge that, that we've proposed connecting Southwood to, um, to Biscuit Run Park for precisely the... Re- I, I, I know Neil pretty well, but I can't read his mind, but like folks living in, in places like Southwood benefit maybe the most of all for proximity to the park. 100%. So, so let's get them connected. 100%. Having, having the folks in Southwood having access to uh, Biscuit Run Park is a no-brainer slam dunk, and it, I would say it's almost deserved. Uh, so thank you for the softball, Neil. I owe you one. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think he was doing that. Um, this, uh, so the, the, the uh, homeowner in Mill Creek South said the signage will definitely help. We've even had neighbors get lost back there. Officer patrols would be great, and she welcomes having the Almoro County Police Department uh, patrolling the trails there. Philip Dow is watching in Scottsville. He says, I can, see, I can see there will be a parking issue for this trail. I can see it being similar to the Monticello Trail, where you see cars parking on 20 coming into town. We see that on the Monticello Trail all the time, especially in the spring and the summer when the weather is nice. And, you know, of, of course, my big... Uh thing that got me into this work in the first place was connecting the Monticello Trail to uh, Charlottesville and PVCC, so you don't need to park at that little trailhead anymore. Right, well yeah. said. Um, comments coming in fast and furious here for Peter, Peter Krebs, and we promise we're going to bring up the road diet. The viewers and listeners are, in fact, why don't we go to it now? Uh, the viewers and listeners are beating us to the road diet. It came up a couple of weeks ago. Judah brought it up after reading the article, the profile, and the uh, daily progress on Natalie Ulstrin, newly minted city councilor, the second youngest on the dais, Michael Payne being the youngest. She was quoted in the newspaper as being uh, in favor of a road diet. She alludes by making the roads in the city more narrow, and the city owns the roads, by making the roads more narrow, the research shows that it makes transportation safer. Mm-hmm. She also alludes by making the roads narrow, aka a road diet, we could utilize the additional space for bike lanes and improve sidewalks for better pedestrian um, enjoyment, if you may. Right. Your thoughts on all this? Yeah, so... Um 
you know, all, all the time people say, like, why can't we be more like, uh, I don't know, Boulder or uh, a lot of places out west. Well, we don't have vast amounts of land to play with. Um, and uh, we are actually fortunate in Charlottesville. We don't have many, like, vast overbuilt roads. But our roads are indeed overbuilt. And because we can't necessarily... Um, add more right-of-way. We have to be much smarter with the right-of-way that we do have. And so um, having uh, narrower lanes reduces speed of vehicles, and uh, there are important um, thresholds uh, where speed and safety um, come together. Uh, people are far more likely to survive a collision if it's in the 20-mile-an-hour range as opposed to the 35-mile-an-hour range. And uh, we know that most people don't pay attention to a speed limit sign. So you have to use other ways to limit speed. And actually, uh, one of the best ways to do that is to narrow down the lanes. So that makes the roads safer for people driving in cars. It's a good idea already to do that. But it also frees up real estate that can be used for more productive things than encouraging people to drive fast through the middle of the city. Judah, if you, uh, Neil Williamson shares a link of what a road diet with a uh, graphic. Neil, you're making the program better. It's on the I Love Seville Facebook group, the group, not the page. And he shares a link that shows a road diet image. I'll show it to Peter yeah. so he can talk about this here. Can you... I can see that perfectly. And Judah, if you could grab this and give us a thumbs up when it's on screen so the viewers and listeners can also see what uh, a road diet would look like. For example, Vanessa Parkhill, which she's a key member of our viewer and listenership family, she is vehemently opposed to the road diet and does the thumbs down emoji on screen here. I'm seeing it from others as well. Perhaps the road diet needs better um, brand equity or explanation or, or perception management because mm -hmm. I, maybe if you put that graphic on screen, we'll help the viewers and listeners. Peter, anywhere you want to go on this. So, so that, that's a good start. Um, with that graphic, I might even consider removing the suicide lane from that as well and using that real estate more productively also. Is the suicide lane the turning lane? The, in the middle, like the middle the double turning lane. Okay. But, but um, the, the principle is there. And so... Um, uh, I think to Natalie's point, um, she was talking about having protected bike lanes. So grabbing a little bit more extra real estate and using that for a separation between the vehicle lane and the, the bike lane would be ideal. So I could imagine a lot of people thumbs downing that graphic simply because they don't want to be in a car, in a bike, with only a stripe between them and the and the vehicle. And the, the graphic is on screen that Neil Williams had just shared. Judah uh, moving mountains on the program. They're seeing this graphic now. The suicide lane is on the right. Uh, it's in the right side of the graphic. It's the turning lane in the middle. Interestingly, and a lot of people do not know about this, the only reason I, le I learned about this is because my wife and I looked at a home on Barracks Road that was on the market. This is being, uh, this is going to be a reality on Barracks Road. Um, the city is going to take a portion, and it's including some of um, landowners' property mm -hmm. on Barracks Road. And, and in fact, I'll see if I can find the, the website for this to 
narrow the road and put bicycle lanes and better walking paths on Barracks Road to create connectivity on Barracks Road to the rest of the city. They're also doing some interesting things with taking away the left turn into the shopping center, which is Meadowbrook, across from Barracks Road Shopping right. Center. I'm sure you follow this as closely as I, I mean, right. better than I do. Yeah, so I believe that's the project that is, is um, uh, on the steep hill dropping down to um, Emmett Street. 100%. And the yeah. website is barracksemmettimprovements.com for those that want to know. So, so that project's going to have a, a completely off-road climbing lane, uh, sort of like they have uh, at Beer Run right now. So getting the the bikes that are, I mean, let's be real, going like six miles an hour trying to climb up that grade, just get them off the street entirely and onto um, uh, a a protected facility. But... um, uh, So so I I think they're, they're... we're we're not here to slay the messenger of that graphic, right? The the principle though, and and again, Natalie was pretty specific about having protected facilities. Like the more you're a vulnerable user, the more you're um, elder or a child or female or black or any of the vulnerable road users. The more it's protected, the more it's not mixing with automobiles, the better. Um, one of the principles that we're seeing uh, and tr- being applied to transportation planning across the board is a focus on uh, eliminating deaths and reducing serious injuries to the s- smallest number possible. So that's one of the reasons roundabouts have proliferated. You see a decent amount of fender benders on roundabouts, but you don't see people being T-boned and killed on roundabouts. So this protection of human life is something that I'm all for. Uh, Comments are coming in fast on this. Bill McChesney, the mayor of McIntyre, watching the program right now. Bill McChesney says a road died and the goals of up uh, zoning are not compatible. Without parking requirements... On-street parking will be absolutely overwhelmed. Do you want to unpack that one, Peter? Uh, so I, I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen data that that justifies that. Places where there uh, some of the densest places on the planet have done road diets. It's actually less dense communities like ours that are um, sort of trailing indicators when it comes to uh, road diets, and we simply have not seen a parking apocalypse happen in places where road diets have happened. This is from I, deep... Th- go ahead. I, I mean, I'd be interested to read case studies, but I just haven't seen them. Um, deep Throat, number one in the family watching the program for Peter. On the road diet, does anyone have a complete map of lane whiffs in Charlottesville? I have never seen one, and the city's open data portal road shapefile is clearly not accurate on road width. How can we talk about this stuff with no knowledge of actual lane widths? I don't see how we go below 10 feet on lane width, and if we intend to have a lot of bus transit, 10 feet lane is going to be very tight. 
so that's going to be a question for the city. I, I can't speak to what their um, GIS resources are. Um, but I will say, though, that uh, um, any, uh, any modification of a uh, road profile is going to include, like, down-to-the-inch measurement. It, it, you know, this, the uh, uh, intensity of resources that need to be mustered to make these projects happen don't, you know... Uh, comport well with being done in a fly-by-night kind of way. This is a great um, question here from Jennifer. I love the viewers and listeners. She says, can your guests help us understand the advantages and disadvantages of owning the roads like the city does versus what the county does with the relationship with VDOT? Hell of a question. That is a hell of a question. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not really... Uh, I pay attention a little bit more than than maybe most people, but hundred percent you do. I'm not super like certified to give a great answer to that. Um, I I will say that uh, the city um, the city can be more accountable to its residents because it has to own its problems. It can't just point the finger to VDOT, and then when you point the finger to VDOT, there's all kinds of uh, finger pointing that can go all the way up to the Secretary of Transportation. And um, I, I come from a, a family of civil servants, but I don't at all love it, we'll say that mildly, when when I see somebody sort of finger pointing, saying, I'd love to help you, but this other thing is keeping us from helping you. Right. So in principle, having like less layers gives the city greater accountability. On the flip side, Charlottesville is a place where we have justifiably high expectations and we live in a pretty small city that um, has lots of resources, but not infinitely many resources. Um, having, so having dealt with the city and the county both, I have observed advantages and disadvantages of both ways. But uh, the accountability, I think, is, is a little bit tighter on on the city side downside you know we i opened the show talking about how the city had some real staffing up that's needed to happen over the last couple of years and i don't think i'm speaking out of school to say that uh, over the last five ten years the the city has had the oomph that it's needed to manage a lot of its own projects. I'm so excited to see the Belmont Bridge about to open. And speaking of road diets, we've had a road diet on the Belmont Bridge now for three or four years, and it has not been a traffic opelix. You know, we've, it seems to have worked. And, um, I wish that some of the projects that I've been watching for as long as I've been watching the Belmont Bridge, like the um, Barracks Road streetscape improvement that you mentioned, or Emmett Street, or 
uh, Fontaine or, you know, I already mentioned Ridge, all these other projects are, have sort of been languishing. High Street is another one. Um, um, Many of the projects do language. I'm still waiting for the West Main Streetscape project to become a reality. I think that funding has now gone away. So, yeah, so... Um, Which is unfortunate. Excited to see some of that going, but that is sort of actually one of the things that's exciting, where I was talking about the city not really necessarily waiting for the decade-long solution. So I've heard rumors that the city is going to take another stab at West Main Street. Really? By, this is fresh news by, by road diet, rather huh. than having a $40 million decade-long transportation um, infrastructure project. That's fresh news to me here. Yeah. Can you unpack that for me? Well, so... Um, uh, I did not know this. Not every element of the West um, Main Streetscape required digging up pavement. Some of it was just thinking differently about where lanes are organized. And actually, you mentioned Livable Seaville. Yeah. Uh, one of their uh, very um, energized and uh, real leaders from Livable Seaville sort of digested uh, a post-mortem of the West Main Street debacle. and said, Was this well, Johnson or Gillikin? Uh, it, it was actually neither one. It, okay. I believe it was Andy Arbonne. Okay. Forgive yeah. me, Andy, if I'm misattributing something to you, but I'm thinking it, it was I him. believe an architect and an avid bicycle rider? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. But, um, yeah, so he put forward a proposal like, okay, so let's play with some paint and see what we could do like now to make things like not perfect, but much better. So... I think we might be not, hopefully I'm not outing anything here, but I think we might see something like that rolling out in the next year or so. Wow, that yeah. is, you, you wouldn't say this unless you had a connection with Which it. would be way quicker than West Main, even if it had been properly a Devil's advocate for the sake of a talk show. If Heather mm -hmm. Hill was here, former city councilor, she would be very much championing the West Main Streetscape project, mm -hmm. which was one of her calling cards when she was on the dais. That West Main Streetscape project mm -hmm. had funding, if memory serves correct, um, was it state and university funding contributing to this? And local funds. And local so, funding. Mm -hmm. And those and that funding, that money had a timestamp or an expiration date on it, which has since passed. So I I think there was the the there were a couple things that kind of came together to make that project um, sort of dissolve, but the lack of project management wherewithal. That was one. Also, it, if memory serves correct, school reconfiguration at Buford was prioritized over the West Main Streetscape project. Yeah, so, so I, I think if um, uh, the project... I don't think that was fatal. After all, uh, monies that we didn't know about back then did materialize for for the reconfiguration, and it was knowable that monies could materialize if if we looked hard enough. The question is, do do we do that work to mobilize monies for a project that we're not going to be able to manage to completion and 
justifiably, VDOT had its doubts. And remember, here I was talking about like minimizing the number of like dependencies you have on different things. Um, uh, there, it was uh, just not enough to to keep it going. And and I, you know, Heather's right. That's when you look at the the bike ped master plan. I think that was like number one on the priorities list. Well, was, and, and I want to highlight this. Former Councilor Heather Hill, who we routinely see, and we, in fact, we saw her last week right in front of the studio, is, lives in the city. Obviously, she was a city councilor and is a very active runner around the city. So she is like running the streets for exercise and understands pedestrian safety extremely well because she is utilizing them to stay in shape. Neil shares this uh, from the Federal Highway Administration. While road diets can improve safety and accommodate motorized and non-motorized transportation models along a corridor, they may not be appropriate or feasible in all locations. Dan Pettit, Mustache Dan Pettit, who we've monikered, says, how would a fire truck handle narrow roads with cars parked on both sides? Do they complain at all? How do they make it through? Janice Boyce Trevelyan watching the program. Vanessa Parkhill highlights the Park Street project being a travesty. She's talking about the Park Street by the bypass which can back up from time to time. Beautiful thing about this talk show is we don't mind if folks agree to disagree, just as long as it's done in respectful fashion. Trey Barham watching the program. Uh, Deep Throat, who is extremely active um, civically and speaking in front of the council uh, and sending emails to local government. He says, let me add that my interactions with VDOT have been miles better than my interactions with Charlottesville's traffic engineer. So he's offering that perspective here. The show is on fire here. We're 45 minutes in. I threw a lot to you. Uh -huh. Anywhere you want to go, and then we're going to have to go quick hitters. Time flies with my friend Peter Krabs. Yeah, so um, uh, one of the things that, that, um, that I learned when I was working, when I started working, is some people were like, oh, I, I feel sorry for you. You have to deal with VDOT. And there, there's a lot of different VDOT. Right, like it's a huge organization, and and you know I I've really had great interactions with with the local residency in the Culpeper um, district. So uh, back at the at the time that uh, West Main Street went away, people were saying like, man, if we only had the the model that the county has for who manages transportation projects, we wouldn't be stuck. So after all, um, West Main Street was a mega project, right? Fell apart. Uh, a lot of cooks in the kitchen on that project. Rio 29, mega project, and it went great in the county. Hydraulic 29, mega project, not flying as well as... Um, uh, hydro, uh, Rio 29, but I'm so excited. We're, they're about to break ground on the pedestrian bridge. I think yesterday I drove by them breaking ground on the, the turn lane improvements that are happening at um, Hydraulic 29. So like Hydraulic 29 and West Main, about the same age as, as projects go, the one which is being managed by VDOT is getting rolling, and the one that was not managed by VDOT is languishing. So, 
you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm, I, I love the conversation with this man so much. I'm going to go long, and unfortunately, I'm going to do what Peter highlighted earlier in the program, not obey speed limit signs to make my next meeting, which is in Almaro County. But I want to go along with Peter Krebs here. He, he's cringing right now with me making that statement. But I want to highlight you so much. On my this tongue program. is the speed governor. It can only go 28 miles an hour. So <laughs> I have do, no doubt that do you what I can to the keep speed up limit <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Uh, Peter, I gotta, I'm going to throw this to you here. Um, let's talk General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, a parking solar bill. And is it the Great Virginia Outdoor Act bill? The Virginia Great Outdoors Act. Let's talk about that first. Please. So um, the gold apple that PC and other organizations have been reaching for for a long time is a dedicated source of funding for conservation and trails. The Virginia Great Outdoors Act is going to bring between $100 million and $200 million a year for trails and park um, and park access and other conservation um, projects. So this is going to be a big source of funds for the new uh, Virginia Trail Office, for example. Um, we're very excited about that. That's, that's, that's going to be a game changer for uh, the Commonwealth. You also mentioned the um, parking lot solar bill. Actually, Virginia, people ask me all the time, Peter, why don't they put solar over parking lots. It makes sense in so many reasons. It like keeps the car off out of the sun. It keeps the car from getting frosted. It you know, makes it shadier for people to live. And it keeps the pavement from you know, absorbing heat and creating a heat island. And by the way, it's a major way to collect solar energy to um, help with our climate goals. Virginia is actually pretty far behind in implementing that stuff. This new bill will, will help it um, move forward a little bit. And um, then there's also a, a bill uh, that, or a couple bills actually, which will uh, do a better job of um, controlling the impacts of data centers coming into Virginia. And I want to talk um, uh, more about that in just a second, but um, I'm going to give you a URL, which I'll drop in the chat in a second. But if you want to learn more about uh, uh, the couple of uh, items I mentioned, you can go to pecva.org slash... Um, well, just go there and you'll be able to navigate to the Action Center. I'll put a link to that in the chat. And also uh, the Statewide Alliance of Conservation Orgs, which is the Virginia Conservation Network, has a bill tracker page, which I'll link in the chat, that has like 30 awesome bills that the General Assembly is looking at right now. This man tracks the General Assembly closely. One of our favorite viewers and listeners that watches the program, Jim Hingley, really tracks uh, the General Assembly closely. Did you have a chance, J-Dubs, to respond to that email so we could book the guests, the suggestion for Mr. Hingley for the program? No. We, we gotta, we'll, we'll take care of that. I've got to throw this to you here. We'll go four minutes. I... I, I Going to be going a little faster than I should here, okay. but I got, I got, I want to pick this man's brain here. Eleven billion dollars, Amazon, Louisa County, multiple data centers. Right. I haven't had a chance to ask you or talk to you about talk with you about this anywhere you want to go. Okay, so um, 
Louisa is outside my service area, and I haven't um, studied that project closely. Uh, it's not something that PC is in favor of. There's, uh, broadly speaking, a couple of reasons why uh, data centers are, we think, bad news. First of all, they're industrial uses that um, blow out the environment in so many ways. They're full of impervious surfaces. They're uh, backup generators generate you know, um, pollution from their uh, diesel generators. They re require power lines that cut swaths through the environment, create, you know, breaking up forests and creating lots of edge conditions, which is what wrecks forests and encourages the spread of invasive species. Um, the, they use a tremendous amount of water to keep them cool. Um, but the, <laughs> the worst thing about it actually is the amount of power that they consume. So, um, the this is a complicated issue, and I'm gonna try to say it simply, and hopefully I'll get it right here. But basically, the Virginia Clean Economy Act uh, set forth um, a set of goals where, um, w within our lifetimes, Virginia will be able to meet its projected electricity demand through renewable resources. Yay, that's gonna help us get ahead of climate change. Unfortunately, the data center industry will also use something like the projected amount of required energy within that same time, and that was not accounted for in the Clean Economy Act. So what that means is that it is likely that um, Dominion will keep online those polluting current power plants and build other unclean power plants. It, it's terrifying. So yes, we'll, we'll have clean energy, <laughs> which is great, but we're still going to have the dirty energy producing um, power plants in the future. And it's mainly because of data centers. And data centers do a little bit help with cloud computing, but those are not the main, cloud computing is not the main reason for data centers. I, crypto and um, AI are actually the main users of uh, the new data centers that are coming online. Which is something so. the data center guys do not want out there, <laughs> but he's 100%. They're managing perception here, and yeah. they're also managing it, and I fall victim to this, under the disguise of uh, an economy driver and a job creation um, uh, inspirer um, which is basically brand management. Randy O'Neill's watching the program. Those funds are a gross misuse of funds. Confusing transportation with health and wellness is a failing strategy. These small not-for-profit profits perpetuate a nice payroll for an executive class of lobbyists, media patron, uh, patronage jobs. 100 million is a sick number. Um, he's watching the program here. A lot of comments coming in. We are not going to get to all these comments on today's program. We will invite Peter Krebs back, but I have to give the man the floor to talk about the registration for the March 21st Active Mobility Summit and a fantastic event tonight uh, that PEC is hosting about data centers. Okay, so I just had a mini rant about data centers, so we'll start with that one. So tonight, um, PEC is hosting an event where here in Charlottesville, 
Charlottesville where people can learn all about the uh, data centers that could be coming to our community and the energy implications. Um, that'll be tonight at the uh, Jefferson School, uh, 6.30 to 8 p.m. You can sign up for that at pecva.org slash events. Okay, so there's that. And then I'm super excited, and hopefully you'll have me back closer to the event about our March 21st Active Mobility Summit, which will be an opportunity for people working on trails, sidewalks, biking, walking, tourism, you know, health, everybody that's working on active lifestyles and active mobility to come together March 21 at the Wolf Factory to, uh, you know, create new partnerships and to celebrate work and chart a good path forward for a more connected community. You could sign up for that either at pecva.org slash events or pecva.org slash mobility summit. I'll drop those both in the chat. I uh, tagged you on three of the pages that had the most engagement. It aired on 15 Facebooks, all over Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Instagram. Neil, I'm tagging uh, Peter on the comments that just came in here. Um, you are a uh, talk show host, uh, Dream. I sincerely mean that, dude. I love the oh. show. We, 55 minutes straight, and we didn't even get to everything. Not uh, even close. Not even close. And it's always the case when he's on the show. <laughs> I swear we will reach out to you in, in early March. Yeah. We okay. should do it. Yeah. yeah this let's is fun. do it. Yeah. So I, we'll get that scheduled. I, I will. I'll Facebook um, message you. I, I do have some bad news for you. Oh, no. Yes. I'm not going to be having a Market Street sandwich today. I, did, did I, you I brought my lunch. Yes. Judith's <laughs> laughing over there. Every time Peter's come on the program, maybe not every time, the majority of the times, he's asked you tonight what is good at the Market Street Market with their deli, which the three of us love their deli. I stay away from pre-made tuna. You know. <laughs> Come on. You had to know. Tuna. Judah said pre-made tuna fish sandwich. Yeah, Did no. you see? Yeah. That was blasphemous from Peter right yeah, there. Yeah, no. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just my personal taste. But I, I love a sandwich as much as the next guy, but... <laughs> I don't know how long that's been in the case. I'm going to say my goodbye now to you because I have a (laughs) 2 o'clock meeting across town that I'm going to sprint to. Peter Krebs, Piedmont Environmental Council, Judah Wickhauer, the director and producer. For those that are asking, the show is archived wherever you get your podcast and your social media content. We will see you guys at 1015 tomorrow with Real Talk with Keith Smith. So long, everybody. Thank you. Peter, that was awesome. (laughs) awesome. Yeah, I'm not trying to.